0: Welcome to this podcast featuring Pastor Michael Lay, the Director of Operations of Behold Israel. Behold Israel provides biblical teachings through its tours, speaking events, and social media. It's also a reliable and accurate news source for developments in Israel, the Middle East, and the world. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Telegram. And don't forget to download a free app. Available on Android and Apple under Behold Israel. And make sure to visit our website at BeholdIsrael.org. I'm Mike Goulet, the Director of Operations at Behold Israel. Uh, We have a team of 15 and some contractors that help us. Uh, Our team is scattered mostly over the United States. We have two Canadians, we have a Filipino, and of course Amir, our founder and president, lives in Israel but regularly speaks in the United States. He's been in the United States after this tour for approximately almost three full months. Um, And so this will be our longest tour we've ever done. I also have the privilege of serving in the United States Air Force as a reservist in the Chaplain's Corps. (laughs) And I love it. I can't believe the freedom that I presently still have to be able to talk about faith uh, in, in ways that uh, I didn't ever think or imagine in these days. But those freedoms are under attack at the Pentagon, make no mistake, I don't want to mention names. Bless their hearts, they try, but there's something called the First Amendment and you just can't erase that out of that Constitution. Yep. I am a bit in tears because uh, this team is so marvelous, and uh, we have contacts all over the world, and specifically Afghanistan. Our Amir and I's father-in-law, he is an Israeli that mentors four Afghani men that came from Muslim backgrounds into the Christian faith. An Israeli mentoring Afghani ex-Muslims. It it, it never gets crazier. Now, because of this whole fiasco and this botched pullout of Afghanistan, we are really having a hard time figuring out who is alive over there right now and who has targets on their back. Um, I am told that these guys are still around with us. I hope they'll, they'll be around tomorrow. And if you guys are watching, God bless you, know who you are in Afghanistan. You're taking a risk by watching this, but yet you do it. Now, uh, this has got to be the most challenging sermon teaching slash brief, however you want to take it, uh, that I've ever done. As a pastor of 17 years before I came into Behold Israel, I sat and chipped away at this for days. This thing is the, this thing is the work and product of a month and I still cannot share everything. Let me make the disclaimer. The title of our message right now is The Rapture According to the Early Church. All right. This is going to be a tour. I am going to put my professor hat on, even though I don't have a professional degree in professorship. But I will be guiding you through some of the reasons why uh, the pre-tribulation rapture view in my my opinion, is the most scriptural view, and it was the view that was espoused by the early church at least through 300 A.D. The disclaimer is this. I am going to be quoting church fathers directly from uh, the sources, and I wouldn't want any of you to go away saying, Pastor Mike believes in the epistle of Barnabas. Pastor Mike believes that Polycarp's writings are canonical. I'm not saying that. We read books all the time. In fact, we're selling books here today, let's face it. They're great books to read, to augment, to support, to bring clarity. You're hearing teachings, okay? We're taking the Word of God and making it obvious. I wouldn't want somebody to say, Behold, Israel is now embracing the Apocrypha, the Pseudopigrapha, and all of the Sibylline oracles and the Nag Hammadi documents of Gnosticism that we see on the Discovery Channel. Okay? <laughs> no! Okay, let me walk you through just a brief story, just to kind of set some context. When I lived in Israel in the 90s, every single year we went to a festival in Arad, it's in the, it's in the desert. And all of the teenagers created a Woodstock-like environment with rock bands, and everybody was feeling free, and there's drugs, and we had a big team there evangelizing, sharing the gospel, handing out Hebrew Bibles, and one of the guys named Tom, Tom, Tom came and he said, listen, uh, you're a Christian, we are Jews. You all believe Jesus, and we believe in the prophets. So uh, you are wrong and we are right. Uh, Isaiah 53, it's not talking about Jesus. It's talking about Israel. Israel is suffering servant. And uh, by the way, I don't even believe in God. And he was proving all of his documentation and all. This guy was a walking library. And he tied me in a pretzel. I was young at the time. He tied me in a pretzel. I was like a dog with his tail between his legs. And I got kicked out of there. I felt humiliated and inadequate. I honestly for the first time in my life, was tempted to convert to Judaism <laughs> as a filthy pig-eating gentile I was actually looking at the Noahide laws. Tom was fascinated, he, stood, he stuck with our group, he said, how is it that you are people from all over the earth and you make uh, the same faith? We are not as unified as the Jews. We are very d- d- distinguished and uh, we fight among ourselves with theology. And I said, well, it happens here too. I said, one, one evening I said, Tom, we're going out to the desert to pray. He was he's, the guy's hanging in our group. I mean, he won't go anywhere. And so I said, look, we're going to the desert. We're going to go pray. And since you're an atheist, eh, you probably don't want to come. He said, no, What? You all go to pray, I want to see it. So, what to see. So we took Tom out to the desert. And something amazing happened in the desert. But, we'll have to get to that later in the sermon. Oh yeah, this is the afternoon crowd after lunch, I gotta keep you awake somehow, okay? I did not know how to handle a tom. I didn't know how to handle the rabbis. I got my butt kicked theologically. Here I am, a filthy figgy Gentile, didn't know Hebrew at that time, and I was getting my rear end handed to me. Okay, I felt insecure. I felt like I could be wrong. I was questioning everything, and that is exactly what was going on in the first century. Original believers that come from Jewish backgrounds and Gentiles that came into the faith of Christianity had all of these religions and different philosophies running around. And I want to introduce you to somebody that was a horrible, horrible heretic. Let's throw him up there on the screen. His name is Marcion. Marcion lived between 85 to 160 AD. He did not believe that people could resurrect. He believes that souls went to an ethereal realm, and he taught Gnosticism. He, He gave you secret knowledge. If you have this secret knowledge, you will be able to negotiate eternal matters. Marcion and his philosophy infected the church. And the church was starting to question their own faith. And they were embracing doctrines of Gnosticism, which said that the human body and all of the material is evil. We need to constantly focus on the soul and what's happening in the afterlife or in the heavens. And of course, many believers were confused and frustrated. Many of them departed from the faith of Christianity to embrace some of these philosophies, just as I was struggling with Tom, who was an atheist who had a Jewish background that believed in all kinds of other crazy things. Sometimes mental health is attached to some of this stuff, or lack thereof, okay? Now, Marcion is preaching a fake gospel and sucking people from the church in like a vacuum, but then there's this gentleman that shows up and parachutes in, and his name is Irenaeus. And let me throw him up there. Irenaeus of Lyons, was a missionary to France in the first century and second century, actually, more so the second century. And he wrote a treatise called Against Heresies. And in book five, which we'll look at later in addition to many other church fathers, there are some shocking pieces of information that talk about how human bodies in faith in Jesus will rise from the dead." And he quotes sources that our gentlemen have quoted this morning. He actually quotes those passages from First and Second Thessalonians, First Corinthians chapter 15, Matthew chapter 24, Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. All of that stuff Irenaeus is quoting in book five, and he's making a case uh, that Christians are in fact, going to be resurrected and their bodies will go to heaven. And he said it's going to happen before the tribulation. (laughs) Irenaeus is the disciple of Polycarp. Polycarp is the disciple of John. It's pretty good, right? So are you ready for a journey? Let me throw up the map This is Christianity in the the 2nd and 3rd century. Notice the green area. That's That's how far the Christian church was able to penetrate the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is losing big time to the Christian church because it offers a quicker way to the right God. It addresses sins and has nothing to do besides just accept God's grace and be saved through faith. Whereas the Roman pantheon, you had to serve different gods. It's like juggling all these gods up in the air like pinballs and like chainsaws and like knives. You don't know what's going to happen. And all of these people are making regular sacrifices to their gods. In Judaism, you had a huge system of 613 commands to obey. And so Christianity was winning, which is incidentally why Constantine in the 4th century allegedly converted to Christianity. I think it was a political move, but that's my opinion. Because if you can't beat them, you join them. All right, so that's the, that, was the first, that was the first church really, the, uh, the second and third century church. Now watch this, today you are sitting in a swamp of false teaching, not only attacking the church, but the minds of the entire earth. If you were listening closely to our previous two teachers, you will know and see that there is a globalist effort to bring the world together in ways that we have never achieved in human history. They tried to do it at the Tower of Babel. That was not successful. There is a new world order, ironically emulating the church on many levels. Pastor Gary showed that video of the environment, of the the tree huggers. They have to have a cause because they don't have the Bible. So they have to have a common unifying factor that draws them together. They need a dilemma and a solution. And they are proposing to you that the world, if it comes together, we can attack climate change with the power of man. Instead of sin, we can, instead of addressing sin, we can address all of the problems of government and have an equal spread of socialism, even though we've been electrocuted in the socket many times. <laughs> try the left hand instead. That will for sure work. That's what they're saying to you, okay? <laughs> Just try the left hand okay social injustice race relations they are hijacking what belongs and always has been defined by god and disseminated through the church we define equality based on the word of god don't let the world take that from you don't let them take unifying factors and redefine truth and sexuality which we talked about my friends in the church the society is now attacking you in your minds. And I've seen churches and church pastors fold and tuck tail and run with a lot of these false teachings. And they've joined the world to fit in so they can have butts and seats. That's why I said earlier, if you're here and, and you don't have a church in the, in the area, this is one of the last bastions where you're going to find the word of God go forth without any shame... Now, Irenaeus has got a big job. He's trying to keep the church pure. Polycarp is trying to keep the church pure. There's different writings that the church fathers wrote down, which are very available today, and you can see the clear evidence of how much they had to go through. I remember being in Israel leading teams, we led evangelism teams, and a German was in my Bible study that I led, and I talked about the, the millennium and the second coming of Christ, and I talked about the rapture, and he laughed at me, and so did all the Europeans that were there on the team. They said, Mike, 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 don't you know, there is no millennium. There, this, we're, 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 the church is going to get better and better and better and then when we get to a state, Jesus will come, and that's the kingdom on earth. The ki- and the king- and I, said, I said, no, no, and we got into these debates. That's what we call amillen- amillennialism. Did you know that did not take off until the fourth century under Augustine of Hippo? You know, God bless him, he was right in a lot of areas, but these early church fathers really, since 300 AD and on, really took uh, a roller coaster ride into craziness and unfortunately much of the world still does not know what you know about the end times now let me introduce you to somebody that i came to learn about recently uh ironically darby darby uh in our chat rooms in behold israel people are saying The pre-tribulation rapture view is a new view. It didn't come out until Darby. John Nelson Darby, considered by some to be the father of dispensationalism in the late 1800s, strongly influenced the Plymouth Brethren and other very conservative denominations. And his case was that there is a literal kingdom, Could it be that Darby was able to touch something that already existed long ago that the first century, second century church already knew, and that is is that the rapture would literally happen, and it would happen before the tribulation, thereafter where there'd be a manifestation of the Antichrist, sheer lawlessness in the world, Israel coming to faith when Jesus comes back, and then a millennial reign, which is what he believed. And in the chats of Behold Israel, people are accusing us of of popping out this view because of Darby. Be. And if that's not enough, some of the suspects in this equation, and I saw a lot of these guys when I first came to faith Larkin, Moody, Schofield, and Lewis Berry Schaefer were the ones that they view, some of the people online, to invent the pre tribulation rapture view. Now I'm going to quip you this morning as kind of a poor uh, professor because I don't have any degrees. And I may get cynical, and I may be crazy a little bit here and there, and I'm going to quote a lot of the the, the first century, second century, and third century leaders, but these guys, could it be that they saw something with the revival of theology ever since the Reformation, where they delved back into the Bible, and without much help, came to the conclusions that there is a millennium, there is a second coming, there is a tribulation, and there is a rapture that precedes all of it? Could it be that these, just, these, are, these are just guys that are reading the Bible plainly? <laughs> and I make that question readily available to all of you online that are watching this. I want you to know that I'm being very sincere. If, it's, if there's any cynicism that comes through, it's because I've had to journey through this and have a lot of debates about this. And I just find that the pre-tribulation rapture view represents scripture and the early church. And I just can't get around it. I I haven't heard a better argument. If you can have a better argument for a a mid or post, then I'm all ears. My goal isn't to convert you to pre-tribulation. My goal is to give you some confidence that there are some sources in the first and second, third century that are very valuable for you to look into that a lot of believers don't delve into. Many of you that are pre-trib, then you want some additional layers that's the point of today's teaching. So, without further ado, let me share with you why Mike Golay likes the pre trib rapture view first, and then we will get into the church fathers. Uh, Let's talk about the scriptural evidence that the rapture will occur before the tribulation. This is Mike's list. This is my list. I love this list. Um, It's not uh, exhaustive by any means, but I find these to be the most convincing. We're going to whip through these really quick so I can give uh, all of the rest of the first century guys a voice this morning, or this afternoon, rather. And so, A, the first thing that I really find convincing about the pre-trib rapture view is that the church will be kept from the quote Hour of trial, unquote, whatever that means. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3, verses uh, 10 through 13. Throw that up on the screen. And this is addressing the church. Because you have kept my command to persevere, and, and by the way, persevere through life, through normal persecutions that were always promised as believers. There's plenty of passages that refer to, if you desire to live godly in Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer persecution, let's face it. Persecution is a part and parcel thing that we signed up the moment we came to faith. Because you've met my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on earth. And you go to the next passage and pick it up there in verse 11, behold, I am coming quickly, hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and I will write on him my new name he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, not just to this specific church in Revelation, but to the churches. Saved from the hour of trial. Now, later on, we're going to get into the uh, shepherd of Hermas, where he's going to talk about this and comment that it's the rapture, that it is clearly referencing The church being raptured out before the great and mighty persecution. Second reason why I believe in the pre-trib rapture is the church is not destined for wrath because of Messiah's sacrifice. Why would God take the church? And push them through the tribulation period when it's really designed for Israel, not the church, to bring Israel to himself, as clearly denoted in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. Why would he allow his bride to be beat up, bruised, have an eye gouged out, and then just barely alive come to the wedding festival? <laughs> you know, ripped up dress, gouged out eye, bruises all over the face. Now, I say that facetiously. But it doesn't fit the text nor what the early church believes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Long passages, but sit back and listen as we have a public reading of Scripture even here. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape, they, they. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. And that's the era of the last times, the second coming. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, verse 6, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober even in the afternoon of a his return conference after a nice hearty lunch from the, from, the, the, from the meal wagon. For those that sleep, sleep at night. Not in the afternoon in conferences. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to... but rather to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you're doing. So if I come to you and I'm not pre-trib and I say, we're looking for the Antichrist. This guy's going to rise up out of Europe. He's going to lead the globalist world order. There's going to be many miracles. There's going to be biblical proportions, judgments on the world. That's why they use the word biblical proportions because nothing nor natural has ever been like the biblical proportions. And it's going to be horrible. You might even get your, your head chopped off. You're going to be on the run. You're going to be in the doghouse. And all your family, you're not going to know who's living at that time. Be encouraged. (laughs) <laughs> look for the antichrist you think god wants you looking for the antichrist or jesus in the sky come on we've already been saved we don't need to go through anything israel needs to go through this they need to look on the one whom they pierce and mourn for one is one mourns for only son so that they may be saved that is the purpose of why daniel said that in chapter 9 verse 24 through 27 church is not destined for wrath. Next convincing argument, I don't want to get caught up with this because there's a lot to say, I know. See, the church is not mentioned at all. At all. Not one bit in Revelation 6 through 18 as being on earth. It's not mentioned at all. Yet in the first 3 chapters, chapters 2 and 3 specifically, the word for church, ecclesia, is used 19 times, 1 through 3. And then once at the very end in chapter 22, verse 16. Why? Because it's not there. You'll see the brothers, the brothers in the first and second century are going are gonna to agree with us. Now, here's a clue for you. Uh, God uses two witnesses, right? He uses an angel, a heralding angel, in the tribulation. He uses 144 members from different tribes of Israel to minister at that time. Of course, uh, many people will come to faith in the tribulation, not just Jews. And it will not be the same as here in the church They'll be in the doghouse and chased down. We still have our freedoms and influence within society. D, the restrainer is taken before the tribulation. Now, there's a lot of debate. Who is the restrainer according to Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 5 through 8? And we'll quote that for you. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So they were having discussions about the end times, Paul and the Thessalonian church. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. That is, the Antichrist needs to be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, the lawless one and the lawlessness, will do so until he is taken out of the way, the restraining force. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, you have to admit, can I just be a little animated? All right? Think of this huge river, Colorado River. Just a big, big river with a big dam, right? Hoover Dam. Let's say that Hoover Dam is is right there, it's in place, and all of a sudden, let's say one day, you just take it away. Can you imagine the water will just flow? This is the imagery I get here. Think about it. The restrainer, many people don't know what that is, but a lot of the early church were saying that it's the alliance of the Spirit of God in the believer making a difference in the earth. A few examples. There are Christians, and we've said this earlier, there are Christians in government. Do you think they're making an influence? Absolutely. There are Christians in the military. I'm one of them. There are many more. There are Christian educators, both in the local theater and across this whole world in universities. There are believers in hospitals. There are many Christian dentists. My dentist is Christian. I like that. (laughs) There are Christians in every single little city council. There's Christians everywhere within the financial system. There is Christians in every country, In every nook and cranny of life. If you pull that Hoover Dam up and you allow the lawlessness, which is those darn Christians, here they go again. Can you imagine if the world got what they wanted? Imagine the chaos that that would create and the need and the vacuum which it would create for somebody to lead it? Imagine. Now, I believe that the restrainer is the Spirit of God. In you. Wherever you have infiltrated this world, whatever calling God has given you and the relationships and impact and influence that you have, it's the Spirit of God that makes you care about things for you to speak up, for you to feed somebody, and it doesn't make sense because in your own flesh, you ever had those conversations with your flesh? Oh, I I really don't want to do something, or I really don't want to say something, I don't want to put myself out there, and then you hear the voice say, Yeah, hey, really, you should. And you find yourself battling. Sometimes that's the Spirit of God calling you to make a difference and be a restrainer against evil or to lessen evil in the world by making it a better place for people. Now, we know this, that the restrainer will continue to restrain until the restrainer is taken out of the way, out of the way. And then lawlessness and the lawless one will come. Paul wanted the first century church to understand all of this and they got it wrong. They were confused, just like you and me. Peter says he had hard writings, very difficult to understand. And that's why we're trying to make sense out of it. E, no one knows the day or hour. This is very convincing as well. Matthew chapter 24, 36 through 44. But of the day and hour, no one knows. Jesus is talking about his whole Olivet Discourse and the starting point of when this whole thing goes down, which I believe is the rapture. The rapture initiates the whole series of end time stuff going down. It's the first thing that happens. Not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as in the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, (laughs) marrying, yay, giving into marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 40, Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the meal. One will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect what would be really cool is if we are preaching about the preacher of rapture right now. And all of a sudden, this well-engineered building would just open up. And the, the Waiting is Return prophecy conference would have been the, on the news. And everybody would have said, this is where it all ground zero. And actually, probably. <laughs> Narcissism, eh, game over, Mike. All right. And now, what you came to listen to. Number two. There's only two points to this sermon today. The rapture according to the early church. Again, I am not saying any of these sources are biblical, authoritative, or inspired. In fact, quite frankly, you're going to see some of the kookiness of some of these guys. I mean, they, they were, you know, not as educated as you. All right? You see this recurring theme of Enoch and Elijah. Is you get into some of the first, second century authors, they're always going to come back to Enoch and Elijah as examples to make their case for a bunch of Marcion losers that are saying, eh, we don't get new bodies. As soon as we die, our body goes to the ground and we're up there. By the way, if you want the secret knowledge, you've got to come to me with Gnosticism. That's, these guys are saying, okay, I'll take that argument. To you believers, if you think Marcion is right, how do you explain Enoch that went up to heaven? And by the way, if you, can, if you can explain that, how can you explain Elijah, who also just went up to heaven? They both were taken by God. And that's the Old Testament. That's what the early church's arguments were against Marcia, Marcion and Gnosticism and many others. For example, here's a passage that's very clear. Genesis 5. Enoch lived 65 years and begot... You want to know how to say Methuselah in Hebrew? <laughs> Metushalach. Metushalach. Metushalach, do you speak Hebrew or what? Come on now, Metushalach. After he begot Metushalach, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. Yeah, I just lived 300 years and I just finally thought I'd start the engine and get up with the wife and we got some more kids going after 300 years. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years and Enoch walked with God and he was not. God, for God took him. Can you imagine? And he's gone. And we know that he was taken because Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5 says, "By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him." For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. 2 Kings 2, verse 9 through 11. Elijah, remember this? And so it was when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elijah, they're doing ministry together. Elisha is the protege of Elijah. Ask what I may do for you, Elisha, before I'm taken away from you. Elijah said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. I love love that answer. (laughs) If I'm taken and I get it, great. If not, then you have to live without a double portion. Okay. You are Jews. We are Jews. Okay. Then it happened, as they continued and walked on, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Have you ever thought what Enoch thought and said, I was just taken, but man, you got, uh, you got the whirlwind, you got the chariots, you got the drama, and probably some epic Jerry Bruckheimer music, you know? Nope. Irenaeus of Lyons, who we talked about earlier, said this. This is Book 5 of Against Heresies, Chapter 5, Section 1. But why do I refer to these men? For Enoch, when he pleased God, was translated in the same body in which he did please him, thus pointing out by anticipation the translation of the just. Elijah, too, was caught up, when he he was yet, in the substance of the natural form, thus exhibiting in the prophecy the assumption of those who are spiritual, and that nothing stood in the way of their body being translated, and, look at that word, caught up. He wrote in Greek, by the way. For by means of the very same hands through which they were molded at the beginning, did they receive this translation and assumption. And the Marcionites are like, oh, no. Against heresies was being read by a lot of the churches in that map world that I just showed you. And Marcion was losing and so was Gnosticism and Irenaeus became one of the heroes to keep the church doctrines pure in the first, second, and third centuries, really the second and the third. I want to introduce you to a document that I find fascinating. In fact, uh, Irenaeus actually thought it should be in the Bible. I don't think he believed it was inspired by God. I certainly don't believe this; these are inspired by God because there's a lot of chaos when you read these books. They just weren't as educated, and, um, and it just it doesn't read as well as the Greek New Testament. It's very, very choppy and... But the Shepherd of Hermas was a series of visions written really in the late 100s AD. We don't know who wrote this, but it's a series that really takes the book of John and the prophecies about the end times, specifically the rapture, the tribulation, the antichrist. And it seeks to bring encouragement to the church who were going through extreme persecutions under Roman governors and the emperor himself. And in this book, it's, it's very enlightening because the believers would actually encourage each other in this extreme pressure cooker to look up to Jesus as the next hope in the prophetic timeline. In vision four, chapter one, watch this, 20 days after the former vision, I saw another vision, brethren, a representation of the tribulation that is to come. And you read through this, I'm going to spare you the details. I'm going to jump to chapter 2, and I'm going to link these two together. Hopefully, it'll make sense. Chapter, in chapter 2 of Vision 4, now, after I'd passed by the wild beast, this is saturated with metaphor. This was the style of the shepherd of Hermas, utilized metaphor for people. Passed by the wild beast and move forward about 30 feet. Lo, a virgin meets me, adorned as if she were proceeding from the bridal chamber. From the bridal chamber, clothed entirely in white and with white sandals and veiled up to her forehead, and her head was covered by a hood, and she had white hair. I knew from my former visions that this was the church. And I became more joyful. She saluted me and said, Hail, O man! And I returned her salutation and said, Lady, hail! And she answered and said to me, Has nothing crossed your path? I say, I was met by a beast of such a size that that it could destroy peoples. But through the power of the Lord and His great mercy, I escaped from it. Take a note on that just for a second. Next up. Well, you, 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 well, did you escape from it, says she, because you cast your care on God. Do you remember Pastor Gary's list? You're going to find a lot of that stuff coming through these documents. Care God and open your heart to the Lord, believing that you can be saved by no, no, no other than by, this, by his great and glorious name. On this account, the Lord has sent his angel who has rule over the beasts and whose name is Thigri and has shut up his mouth so that it cannot tear you. You have escaped from the great tribulation on account of your faith and because you did not doubt in the presence of such a beast. The beast is representing the tribulation, and he's using these metaphors. I'm going to continue just to really cement this in your mind. Go, therefore, and tell the elect of the Lord his mighty deeds, and say to them that this beast is a type of the great tribulation that is coming. if If then you prepare yourselves and repent with all your heart and turn to the Lord, it will be possible for you to escape it if your heart be pure and spotless. Look at the criteria here. It's very, in a way, haunting, especially for the church today that's casual about sin. Sin all week long, like it's a party, come into church, clean out the pipes, and then you're good to go for another week. That's the way I was raised. Look what he says here. Cast your cares upon the Lord, and he will direct them. Trust the Lord, you who doubt, for he is all-powerful and can turn his anger away from you and send scourges on the doubters. Woe to those who hear these words and despise them. Better were it for them not to have been born. This is not inspired. This is the shepherd writing a metaphor of many visions, saying to you and me, there's a great tribulation, and we can even use the metaphor as a beast that's going to eat people up. And it's our faith that if you have faith, you're saved from it. I want to just quote Second Peter chapter three verse fourteen through sixteen. We'll put that up on the screen. Look at what Peter says. Very similar language here. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in Him by Him in peace, without spot or blameless. We, did we not read this earlier? And consider that the long sufferings of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved Paul, uh, brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, has written to you, as also in his epistle, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. They at least confess it. This, is, this prophecy stuff is hard to understand. Understanding the Bible is not always easy, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of scriptures. Now, you ready to put some gas? Can I shift gears? Let's talk about the Didache. The Didache is a treatise, and often called the Teaching of the Twelve, which is basically trying to summarize Christianity to make it easy for people... It's like a constitution of the faith. This is kind of... Before they came out with all these creeds, they read the Didache. It's far more extensive than the creeds and far less easy to remember. In the Didache... I'm going to ask that you really pay attention here because you'll miss it if you're not uh, with a careful eye. So this was written in the mid-second century, the 100s, in the the middle of the 100s. Um, This was viewed by the Christian church as like a constitution that, uh, that summarized the teachings of the Bible. Look what it says. Watch over your life. Let your lamps... Not be quenched, and your loins be not ungirded, but be ready. For you know not the hour in which our Lord cometh. And this is, he's quoting scriptures here. That's why there's quotes. But be frequently gathered together, seeking the things which are profitable for your souls for the whole time of your faith shall not profit you except you be found perfect in the last time. And by the way, that's one of the things I love about this church, Pastor Gary, and yours as well, Pastor Barry, is that you, you were only closed for a reasonable amount of time and then you recognized that even in Hebrews, do not forsake the assembling of yourself as the custom of some. And right there in the didache, it was also prioritized even in worse times in the, in the Roman Empire. For in the last days, the false prophets and the corruptors shall be multiplied, and the sheep will be turned into wolves, and the love shall change to hate. For as lawlessness increases, they shall hate one another. Does it sound familiar? This is the didache. Okay. They'll hate one another. Um, And persecute and betray, and then shall appear the deceiver of the world as a son of God, and shall do signs and wonders, and the earth shall be given over to his hands, and he shall commit iniquities which have never been since the world began. He's given a shakedown of the end times, identical to the text of the Bible. Now watch. Then shall the creation of mankind come to the fiery trial, and many shall be offended and lost, but... They they who endure in their faith shall be saved by the curse itself. The curse itself is referring to the time period of the Antichrist and the world tribulation. If you you read this in Greek, which is original, this is a contrast. They that endure in their faith shall be saved by the curse itself. Watch Watch the shakedown of events. Then shall appear the signs of the truth. First, the sign spread out in heaven. Then the second of the sound of the trumpet. So rapture, sound of trumpet. Thirdly, the resurrection of the dead. But not of all the dead. But as it was said, the Lord shall come and all his saints with him. Then shall, shall the world see the Lord coming on the clouds of heaven. Do you realize what you just read? Do you see the chronology? Now it's a little quirky, because these guys thought differently. He's saying basically two things. The Christians that endure in their faith up to the point of the tribulation where the fur hits the fan, the world says something differently, but I'll avoid that phrase. (laughs) There will be a shakedown of events. Not all of the dead will be raised, only the church. This is something you have to really look into, okay? I can't help but to quote 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at this. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Now, this is scriptural. This is the real McCoy, okay? That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. See, the language of the didache is taking from here and morphing it into its constitution. With a voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus will always be with the Lord, therefore comfort each other with these words. See, the didache is only as good as the scriptures that it's really quoting and consolidating, making it easy for the believers with a bunch of festering false teachings to be able to negotiate that. Are you ready for more? Yeah. Let's go back to our buddy Irenaeus. Let's, 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 uh, let's give him a salute, Irenaeus. Irenaeus of Lyons goes to be a missionary in France because he hears there's a saturation and an infection of false teachings. A lot of the churches there, the local churches, don't know what to do. They're confused. Keep in mind, they hadn't even assembled the, the canon list yet. What is the canon list? Identifying and agreeing that the the books of the Bible of the New Testament are inspired by God. It wasn't until the Mauritanian canon list in the late 100s that they all recognized today's uh, New Testament. And today's New Testament is exactly on the Mauritanian canon list. You can look that up later. I don't want to get sidetracked. Irenaeus is fed up. He cannot stand this. I wish I had an Irenaeus by me when I was speaking with Tom, which, by the way, I'll tell you what happens later, but not yet because it's the afternoon. Session and waiting his return conference at Leesburg, and I would not dare not want to bore you with, with things when you're already trying to fall asleep. So I'm struggling, and Irenaeus is my hero that I needed to borrow to come in. You just whoo. he's gonna launch some truth bombs and missiles, and he is gonna destroy the arguments of the heretics, which were saying there's no resurrection. He goes a step further and actually tells us when it will happen. After all, he's a disciple of Polycarp, who is a disciple of John. Pretty good, okay? That's just two generations from the source. You know what I'm saying? Am I crazy here or what? I mean, a lot of people accuse us of inventing this from Darby, which is in the late 1800s. I didn't even know who the guy was until people educated us in the chat rooms of old Israel. I looked this guy up and I thought, oh no, oh no, is that where I got my view? And then I delved into the first, second century and I I, I find that Darby got it from them. So blame Irenaeus against heresies. Book 5, chapter 29, section 1. In the previous books, I have set forth the causes for which God permitted these things to be made and have pointed out that all such have been created for the benefit of that human nature which is saved, ripening for immortality, that which is possessed of its own free will and its own power and preparing and rendering it more adapted for eternal subjugation to God. He's talking about us, human bodies. And therefore, the creation is suited to the wants of man. Instead of fulfilling God and their creator, they want to do their own thing. Sound familiar? For man was not made for its sake, but creation for the sake of man, as per your video with the tree huggers. Those nations, those people around the world, those crazies, however, who did not of themselves raise up their eyes unto heaven, nor return thanks to their maker, nor wish to behold the light of truth, but who were like blind mice, look at the metaphor, blind mice, concealed in the depths of ignorance. The word justly reckons as wastewater from a sink and as the turning weight of a balance, in fact, as nothing. These people are futile in their thinking, that's what he's saying. In other words, people, Satan, people that follow the lie, if Trump were, he'd say, complete losers, first of all, let me just say that, <laughs> all right, I couldn't resist. You know we love you, Donald. So. So far as useful and serviful to the just as stubble caduces toward the growth of the wheat and its straw by means of combustion serves for working gold. He's saying their destination is destruction. And therefore, when the end of the church shall be suddenly caught up from all this... The world is sinning. Things are getting worse. You're seeing it right now. Let's face it. We just heard severe, serious data that are giving just, just, a, just a sample of what's going on in the world right now. You and I have to tolerate and swallow and, and, and eat this yeah. defecation that the world is putting in that spoon. Okay? I, don't, I just don't know how else to say it. Look at this. And therefore, when the end of the church shall be suddenly caught up from this, all this nonsense, it is said, there shall be... See? A tribulation such as never been since the beginning, neither shall be. For this, this struggle, not the tribulation itself, the struggle of tolerating all of the stuff we see, this last contest, contest of the righteous, which you and I are seeing right now, in which when they overcome, <sighs> don't give up, which we overcome, they're crowned with incorruption. We have, we have a long, we, I don't know how much longer we have. What more, what more signs do you want? I mean, we have the state of Israel. we got the coalition in Syria. We even have and Dedan, which is basically their Peninsula, criticizing the battle that Ezekiel predicted in 38 and 39. They'll be critical, and now they're at peace with Israel because they, they needed to be so they can criticize these other countries. I never thought I'd see that in my life. How much more do you want before we say, finally, we're in the end times? Now, to be fair, the church always viewed itself as being in the end times, but the early church also said that there will be an acceleration of these kinds of events, which is really what Ernest is saying. If you read the entire book, you'll see that he's saying there's an acceleration of this nonsense of the world, and if you persevere in that nonsense, and you're a believer, and you don't tuck tail and run or cave in, you'll escape the great tribulation. Boy, i got a lot of material. Let me introduce you to a friend of mine who's a little bit nutty, Vic- Victorinius of Patau. How many of you like his writings? Anybody read Victorinus of Patau? <laughs> so that's uh, modern-day Serbia, and this guy is fed up with a lot of false teaching. He joins Irenaeus, he's also late uh, 100s into the 200s AD. And uh, he thought it would be wise and helpful to write a commentary on Revelation. Now, he's a little bit nutty, all right? I'm going to read you the passage of Revelation that he's going to comment on, and he's a little nutty in his interpretation, but he's assuming that the rapture will have already happened when, this, when these events shake down, which, of course, let's look at it so you can see for yourself. Revelation chapter 6, verse 13 through 14. John writing this. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, Behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth, as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll. When it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Follow on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the, Lord, the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Yo, Victorinus, what do you say? Let's put him up there. Mike, I'm from Serbia. And uh, here's what I have to say. He is commenting on this, and he's saying, this is his commentary. It's, it's really kind of choppy. Verse 13, he's commenting. And the stars fell to the hilt. The falling of the stars of the faithful who are troubled for Christ's sake. Even as, and I don't agree with this, but he's say, look what he says. Even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, the fig tree was shaken, loses its untimely figs, when men are separated from the church by persecution. Who goes through the persecution? Not the church. Verse 14: And the heaven withdrew as a scroll that is rolled up. For the heaven to be rolled away, that is, that the church shall be taken away. And every mountain and the islands removed from their places. Mountain and islands removed from their places. Intimate that in the last persecution all men departed from their places. That is, that the good will be removed. And they, he says seeking to avoid the persecution because they all knew in the first century, second century, that if you came to Jesus, it was known in the churches through the teachings of the apostles and now these guys that you don't go through this persecution or this tribulation or the so-called day of the Lord period leading up to the second coming. Now I know this guy's a little kooky in his interpretation, but you got to at least admit that he believes in a pre-trib rapture. All right. In my last five minutes, I'm going to go now to just a few worthy mentions. Clement of Rome, who lived from 30 to 100. Oh, let's dig deep. He was alive around the time Jesus was crucified. Hello. He was al- He could have. He could have called John on the phone and said, what did you mean in chapter 17? Of course, they didn't have phones. Claimant of Rome in his first epistle to the Corinthians, non-canonical, not inspired by God. I know somebody online is going to say, you're quoting these sources. Behold, Israel, a bunch of heretics. No, if I say blue, 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 just hear blue. Don't hear red, okay? Okay. Enoch, in chapter 9 of this first epistle to the Corinthians, talks again about Enoch. He's making the same case Irenaeus is making. Even before Irenaeus, he talks about Lot and Rahab and in uh, chapter 11 and 12 as examples of it being exempt from the persecutions and the judgment of God. And in chapter 23, he talks about the rapture. And I, I don't have time. I wish I could get more into this. The time has escaped me. He talks about the rapture, Um, but I can say this. If you take and go to the first epistle to the Corinthians of Clement of Rome and you read, he talks about the succession of the resurrection, the persecution or the troublesome times, and then the coming of the, the judgment on the nations. Yeah, Darby came up with this in the 1800s. Yeah, right, okay, I'm sorry. Polycarp. Now, Polycarp and John hung out. They, I could, if they lived in Minnesota, they'd be in the oh-so-very-warm cabins in the north, and their kids would be frolicking in the snow, and they'd be having these theological conversations at the campfire right there. Polycarp was a disciple of John. And in chapter 2 of the Epistle to the Philippians, see, a lot of people were writing letters around to people. They just weren't inspired. They were encouraging. And in chapter 2... He talks about how Jesus is going to be the judge of the living and the dead, and his blood will require God, uh, it will be required of the nations to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And in chapter 5, he writes this, if we please him in this present world, we shall receive also the future world according as he's promised to us that he will raise us again from the dead. And that if we live worthily of him, See how they use those phrases, worthy? We shall also reign together with him. In the Greek composition of the way Polycarp says this, he's looking at two separate events in a chronology. Okay? One could say, well, he was post-trib or he was mid-trib, but that's not what Irenaeus taught. That's not what some of these other guys taught. So again, even people that are running around like my German friend that was in Israel saying, there is no millennium. There is just no second coming the way you think, Mike. No, I love Germans. You know Germans. I love you. Ich kann Deutsch sprechen auch. Okay. All right. Okay, let's not go there. Look, he, Polycarp, in chapter 6 of this same epistle to the Philippians, actually says, we will all appear before the judgment seat. And he believed that the judgment seat of Jesus would happen during the great judgments of the world. So we would have had to have been raptured already. (sighs) I am going to just race to the end here. You can see here on the screen um, some pointers here. If you were to go back and remember things that we've said, number one, and this is where I'm going to springboard off of Pastor Gary's list, and I'm going to reinforce what you just said. And we have the entourage of church history saying the same thing basically that you We didn't get together and come up with this. But look at this. Let me go to the next uh, slide. Number one, first century readiness standards. In other words, how did they view readiness? Number one. Uh, and let's see if we can get those up on the screen because I think these will be helpful. If not, then I'm just going to say them. Every one of these leaders used the word worthy of the rapture, worthy of the resurrection. And they expected themselves, those they led, and people that came to faith, they expected them to glorify Jesus every single day in their life. Not to screw around with the world and the temptations. You've you've read these with me, have you not? If you you want to view this after, it's, uh, it's going to be on Facebook and YouTube. And so I live my life to glorify Jesus and I have eternal impact to those around me. The second expectation that we find, not just in Scripture, but what is reaffirmed by the early church is, I'm willing to go to death for my faith. Most of the people that we read died for their faith. And they said as soon as they sign up for Christianity, they knew, they knew they could go to death. And the third expectation was they expected everybody to be constantly sharing their faith to every soul around them because they were far more urgent about these end times and far more ready than you and I were 2,000 years later. Can you imagine that? They were probably more ready than we are. I'm here to wake you up. I'm here to wake myself up. I hear the Spirit of God say, Mike, are you awake? So there I was in the desert. (laughs) Tom, you asked for this. We're going to pray. We're praying. It's a clear sky in the desert. Stars are showing. People are confessing their sins on our team. International team. See, the church has actual equality. We all stand equal before the cross. Don't let the world take that and steal that from you, okay? People are praying to God for their lives, for clarity, what God's calling is in their life, to give them wisdom, to give them courage, to give them strength. And Tom is just sitting there. And then there was a moment of silence. Silence. And I'm not even exaggerating. I can be a little bit sensational, but I'm trying. This is really, <laughs> this, is, this is what happened. Lord God, thank you for allowing me to find these people. I'll never forget his prayer. I have denied you my whole life, and I have confused you with religion. And he confessed and said, I'm sorry. He said, whoever you are, God, Jesus, I'm asking that you will come into my life and show me the truth. Yeah, oh, oh. That's not enough. He said, show me how to walk with you. And by the way, he came back and he joined us in evangelizing. Within that night, he read through several gospels. He couldn't couldn't, um, let the Bible down. And he was out there evangelizing and... He joined a local congregation in Jerusalem, and he's still running strong. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take a break. And uh, I I just want to know where we're at in the day, because I'm also, I'm I'm putting now the MC hat back on. Well, not yet, not yet. Um, Right now, it is at almost 2.30, okay? Okay. No, no, it's 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 quarter to three. Oh, look at that! I'm actually ending two minutes late. That's not bad, right? <laughs> you can egg my house later on. All right. Um, I want to pray, and then we're going to take a break until uh, three o'clock. Um, until three o'clock, fifteen-minute break. Let's all stand. I want to I wanna come back to Pastor Gary's challenge. Um, I, got a, I got a name that came to me. And I know you did too. And I, can I just say that I'm, I'm a little... The name that came to me is a close relative and I, I don't have the first clue of how I'm going to introduce the conversation with this. I, I just don't know. And maybe the name that you got or the name that you're getting right now, you're like, you're like petrified. Can I pray God's wisdom over you? I'm going to ask you to contact that person and set a date for a conversation. What is this conference worth if we don't do st- stuff like that, right? Lord, give us wisdom. Or all those watching online give you wisdom? Lord, if we believe we're in the end times, and we do, Every second counts right now. Help us to approach these loved ones and friends with your wisdom and guidance. I personally love to be not, not, not looked at as a kook or anything, I, I, I confess, but I do, Lord, want your wisdom and I know everyone here does too. Let's get dates, Lord, and let's do this. The time is ticking and the first century church, they demanded it. They wouldn't accept anything less, not to mention the the apostles, the actual apostles. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast featuring Pastor Mike Golay, the Director of Operations of Behold Israel. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Telegram. Download our free app available on Android and Apple under Behold Israel. And don't forget to visit our website, beholdisrael.org.